capped it away. BJ drives in and lays it in. Make it 101 98 now. Bulls with the lead. BJ with 13. There are two words that perfectly describe BJ Armstrong consistent and reliable. Drafted 18th overall in the 1989 NBA draft, Armstrong consistently improved each year with the Bulls. In his first season, he only played about 16 minutes a game off the bench, but by his sixth season, he was averaging over 30 minutes a game as the Bulls' starting point guard. During Chicago's first two championships, BJ was a reliable piece off the bench. He filled in nicely as either a primary ball handler or a spot-up shooter. Armstrong was lethal from three-point range, shooting nearly 44% from behind the arc during his Bulls' career. As John Paxson started to decline, head coach Phil Jackson inserted Armstrong into the starting lineup in the 1993 season. BJ handled the promotion pretty well, averaging just over 12 points and 4 assists per game while leading the league in 3-point shooting percentage. He added a nice spark to the starting unit and was a key member of the Bulls' third championship squad. Armstrong! He is on fire! 17 for BJ Armstrong! He's at 8 even after the first three-peat was over, Armstrong continued to consistently improve. Earning All-Star honors in 1994, he averaged almost 15 points per game in both the regular season and playoffs. BJ certainly was an instrumental player to a team that earned 55 wins during Michael Jordan's first retirement. He played another season with the Bulls in 1995, but during that offseason, GM Jerry Krause selected to leave Armstrong unprotected prior to the expansion draft. BJ was selected by the Toronto Raptors, who then traded him to the Golden State Warriors. Armstrong never really saw the same success after his run in Chicago. Following his brief stint with the Warriors, BJ played the next two years off the bench with the Charlotte Hornets and Orlando Magic. In 2000, he returned to the Bulls during his final season, playing only 27 games on a 15-win squad. No matter what Phil Jackson asked him to do, Armstrong always seemed ready for the task at hand. When he needed to be a facilitator, he was setting guys up. When he needed to stretch the floor, he found his way to the three-point line. Heck, he even could pick up the tempo or stand tall on defense. BJ was consistently reliable, and that made him a special role player who fans from the 90s will always love and respect. All right, so let's bring in Tony Gill from NBC Sports Chicago. Tony, how you doing? How you adjusting to the new normal in life? Um, it's certainly been weird. Um, specifically on how I like to work. Uh, I work. We work in you know both creative spaces, uh, and I really enjoy the you know the face to face uh, bouncing of ideas with other people. Um, within my vicinity, uh, and I can't, I can't do that now. Um, everything is email, everything is conference call, everything is Zoom conferencing, um, which is, which has been great, which has been fine. We're still, you know, pumping out content, uh, weekly podcasts, uh, and things like that, and, and features. But it's, it's not the same, you know. Um, just having that daily connection with people that you see in your workplace every day. Uh, this is certainly that something that we have had to get uh, got used to um and we're working through it and we're working through it we're putting we're doing a lot of great stuff digitally and on television as uh you might have you might have seen with uh beyond back feature uh mm-hmm. that was that came out uh last week so yeah we're we're doing a great job at nbc sports um, chicago and um, we're just going to keep pushing through the 
nostalgia that you guys are creating with with I'm Back and um, even just airing some of the old Bulls games really jogged my brain to do this podcast to to profile some of the old role players from the Dynasty era. So you chose B.J. Armstrong, and so I want to start by just asking why you decided to pick B.J. Armstrong as the player that you wanted to highlight from the Dynasty era. Um, well, you know, when you you approached me with that with the idea i thought it was fantastic um and because people they usually just go right to uh you know michael michael and scotty you know obviously they were the two biggest stars on the team but what jerry krause did and jerry he gets a lot of crap you know at times but jerry helped build those teams um obviously jordan turned himself you know into the player that he was and scotty you know the player that he was uh, but they needed to be supported. And BJ was one of those key pieces in the in the the early three P that really helped glue this team together, um, especially that that starting five. And um I've always had an affinity for BJ. Uh my father always used to talk about BJ Armstrong. Um and he just kinda he he fit. He did his job. He did what he was supposed to do to help that team win. Uh and that's that that's all you can ask for when you're playing next to the greatest player, you know, ever. Um is don't get in the way, do your job, do what you're supposed to do, uh, to help the team win. And BJ did all of that. BJ was was an interesting player. Um just saw him every single season from his rookie year to the time he left the Chicago Bulls in, in 1995, he always got better every single season. You know, I think he started out as a guy just averaging about, you know, five points a game, playing about 15 minutes. And by the end of it, you know, he was a starter playing almost 30 minutes a game, averaging 14 points and almost four assists a game. He was a very interesting player, too. A little bit of a combo guard even for, for back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it... It was a weird concept because back then the traditional roles of point guard was the majority ball hander, handler, the leader, the guy that set everybody else up. Um, but with a special talent like Michael, you had to find these kind of weird um, pieces to fit around Jordan. Jordan was really kind of like the first of the new breed of not point guard ball dominant ball handlers. Um, so you had to find these intricate ways to build around him. And I thought the way Jerry went about doing that was, you know, very, very interesting. Um, because how do you how do you build around Michael Jordan? Um, he, I mean, this, this this great individual talent who needs the ball to, you know, be the most effective. But in that time and era, it was point guard and big man. Um, everybody else in between was kind of like ancillary. If you had a, a great starting point guard and a great starting big man, that's how you won championships. Um, so when uh, they, they, they take BJ, they, they had a couple point guards on the roster. Obviously, John uh, Paxson was currently on the roster as well. Uh, but they, they needed some more depth at that position. So they take BJ Armstrong in the first round. Uh, 18th overall in the 89 draft and you're right I mean he just simply just grinded his way uh, up just getting better and better as the season goes on Uh, uh, definitely a model of consistency as well Um, playing almost 80 plus games uh, every season you know up until you know he got into his 30s or so (laughs) Um, so uh, 
BJ was a, a, a very interesting piece in terms of you right having that combo piece where um, his number one job wasn't you know distributing and and make it, his number one job was to space the floor for Michael, let Michael do his thing, you catch and shoot when you had those open shots. And it was really interesting too with BJ because he even played off ball when Scotty was the primary ball handler too. You know, Michael would come out of the game. Scotty sometimes would, would roll right into that point forward spot. And BJ did such a good job playing off the ball. Um, you think about it, you know, he became such a good catch and, and shoot shooter during that first three-peat. And, you know, was actually a really good three-point shooter. He shot close to, I think, like 40, close to 45%. Um, he had one year where he had 45% in 1993, 44% in 1994. He was pretty consistent when he had more minutes and got higher volume shots up. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a career 43 point shooter <laughs> from, from the three. Uh, and that, that mattered a whole lot because you had to, you had to find where BJ was every time Michael drove the ball. Um, and that was the genius in, you know, having BJ and BJ knowing that uh, worked that, you know, in his game, like, Hey, I'm not going to be the predominant ball handler here. That's just not what it is. So what can I do to help this team win? And that was space the floor, um, guard when you're supposed to guard. Uh, obviously, Mike and Scotty would take, you know, the harder matchups uh, defensively. So all you had to do was do your job, you know, and do it well. Make your free throws. Uh, don't do too much. BJ did did all of that. One thing I always remember about BJ, too, um, he was actually a little scrappy defender. You know, and that was like a, a hallmark of these Bulls teams. He was always able to play sort of just in that team concept, and, and he always always seemed to be in the right spot at the right time defensively. In 1994, when when Michael leaves the Bulls, BJ actually got a nod to the, to the All-Star game. He was an All-Star. Do you think that was more of a, I guess, a pat on the back for the fact that the Bulls were able to still be at the near the top of the Eastern Conference that year, or do you think he legitimately earned the right to be an All-Star player that year? Well, I think all these awards typically are based on expectation. Mm. Uh, like, you know, MVP, Coach of the Year. We expected you to be here, but you ended up here. So we have to reward that. Um, so if that's how, you know, people are voting and, and how they vote for these things, uh, BJ certainly belonged up there. The Bulls were a playoff, te- a strong playoff team, even without Michael. Um, I don't, uh, when I've heard uh, Jerry Ryan's, and I've been working a lot of of stories and features, so I've listened to a lot of interviews and and a lot of sound. Um, I remember specifically uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, when Michael came back, uh, when Michael retired the first time, there was real discussion into breaking it up and starting from scratch even then. Mm -hmm. Um, But when Michael came back, um, they decided to, you know, kind of stay veterans, but obviously BJ was, you know, basically tore on the tail end and, you know, on his way out. But, but the expectation were when Michael left was this team was going to not be as good. And they were one bad call away from going to the finals again. Um, so, I mean, he played all 82 games that year, um, was playing 34 minutes a game, uh, that season. So BJ was doing what he was supposed to do, uh, had his highest uh, point total uh, for that season. So he he upped his game 
when Michael left, uh, and it, it worked out for him. He got the All Star nod. Scotty obviously also got the got the All Star nod, um, and the Bulls deserve two All Stars. It's like you know, I mean, Milwaukee Bucks uh, of this season. You just can't have Giannis be the only one, you know, in the All Star game. I know people. Chris Middleton gets constantly disrespected um, by a lot of people uh, in, in on Twitter and stuff like that, but. You can't have one all-star when you're, you know, one of the top or the top team record-wise, uh, either in the East or in the league. And the Bulls were on that track, so BJ had to be that second all-star. And, you know, there was always, um, I mean, we hear that there was maybe some some friction and some tension between Armstrong and, and John Paxson, especially when that transition started to happen uh, right around 1992. Uh, heading into the 1993 season where Paxson, who was the starting point guard for the first two championships, uh, all of a sudden, you know, he, he starts slowing down. He had some some knee issues and Armstrong slides into the lineup. And, you know, it kind of added a little bit of an extra pop into that starting lineup. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't that that smooth, I think, even for the fan base, because a lot of people at the time, it's hard to imagine now they were you know pretty big fans of John Paxson at the time. Yeah, um, but I mean, that's what being a leader is, and, and I'm talking about Phil Jackson at this point. Um, you got to make those tough decisions when they need to be made, and obviously it, it was the right decision at the time because they won the championship. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I think the move had to be made. BJ was playing really well. He was, you know, the Bulls' first round pick. Um, it was kind of like. Um, what the current Bulls have gone through with, you know, Kobe White. Yeah. Um, with once your first round pick shows the consistency and stability uh, to be that guy, to be that cons- uh, that consistent model at that point guard position, um, you got to you got to start him. You got to mm-hmm. see what he has. and You have to see if he's uh, worth it, worth that pick that you spent on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and BJ certainly was that uh, at that time. And. Um, Phil, and that's one of the things that Phil as a coach, not so much as a GM, uh, but Phil as as a coach to challenge modern thinking, to challenge his players, uh, was certainly ahead of his time in in that point uh, to that degree. Because again, like you said before, I mean, John, he hit the shot against Phoenix, and. Um, I mean, even when you talk about John Paxson today as a basketball player and you know why he still has the job he has, a lot of it has to do with because of what he did in those championship runs early on, yeah. which is, you know, much respect. But when it came time to make that that final decision on, OK, going into this season, who deserves to be the starting point guard for this team going forward? BJ was the guy. And to make that decision amongst, you know, uh, the the overall majority of people assuming that John should have had that job, uh, Phil stuck with it. He played the he started the majority of the games that season. They went on to you know win their third, uh, win their, another championship. I kind of want to get into um, BJ post playing career a little bit. So, um, of course, he had his last season in the year two thousand, and he actually played his last year with the Bulls. It was how sad it was to see BJ in a Bulls uniform at that point, but um, worked in the Bulls front office. And of course, 
he was sort of the GM in training at the time. He was an assistant to Jerry Krause. And when Krause stepped down in 2003, a lot of people thought that, that was going to be BJ's job and it became Pax's job. And I, I kind of always felt that when BJ then transitioned to a role as an agent and worked for Derrick Rose, I always felt like there was some t- weird tension there whenever BJ would you know release a statement on behalf of Derrick Rose and just it just seemed like even that tension between him and Pax was still there. But maybe that's just me being a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> um, no, you know, there was something there. Uh, John was, you know, working as a broadcaster, you know, at the time. And BJ was actually working for the organization um, at, in the executive type of role. I couldn't tell you um, what exactly uh, what he was doing in terms of his you know, day-to-day job activities, but he was right next to, um, to Jerry Krause and, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, all all the time. Uh, he wasn't really so much around the team per se. Um, and he wanted that job. He wanted that job, you know, really, really badly. And of course, John, you know, gets it. Uh, and you know, here we are today. And it kind of makes you wonder how it would have been different if they did give BJ that job. Um, but I, d- I do think there was a, there was a little bit to that um, a lack of trust uh, with BJ kind of being the, the the forewarner of the wrong quote unquote that was done to him to Derek and we saw we saw how Derek's career ended as a bull uh, it didn't mm-hmm. it didn't end on bad terms I mean on good terms um, and I. I I can't go into a lot of a lot of detail. I don't know a lot of detail on you know how it just kind of end up crashing and burning at the end there. Um, but having two people, um, one representing the other, with poor ex- quote unquote poor experiences uh, with the Bulls, um, it didn't bode well for them. Uh, so I mean, we can play the guessing game on what could have happened. I mean, BJ could have been worse. Um, or just we don't know you know we don't know what kind of GM that he would have he didn't you know get another job anywhere else as a GM so that I think that says a lot if he actually wanted Mm -hmm. to be an executive in the NBA level I'm sure there if he wanted to pursue that there were other opportunities uh, to do that but nobody else hired him Uh, that that's that's my that's my take on that it is interesting because he was somebody that I you know remember even reading at the you know at the time that that Krauss did step down I mean he everybody did think that BJ was the front runner and, and John just sort of came in at a out of nowhere and, and was a, a candidate for the job you got to give him credit though you got to give Armstrong credit for really making that transition though into being in the you know sports marketing and and uh, representation field so he has Rose right now as a client uh, I think he also has uh, Manuel Moutier uh, JaVale McGee I think he doesn't he also have Denzel Valentine I think under his wing or something like that he, he's got a couple of different players but pretty impressive that you know he's gone on to do that yeah um he's 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 trying to for the last I heard he's trying to slide back a little bit from uh the agents I think he only has maybe you know a few clients left I think maybe he's still have Derek um or something like that but he's he's trying to slide more back into in, into television um, we see, I've seen him on a couple times on the jump. Um, I know for a fact that we tried to book him during All Star Weekend, 
uh, for him to do stuff, and it just didn't, you know, work out scheduling wise. But he he wanted to come on and be a part of our live podcast taping. Um, so he's he's I think he's trying to transition to uh, more t- more television role uh, in, in in that being an uh, an analyst um, on that side of things. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm interested to see what 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 comes of uh, BJ as you know time goes on. You know, actually, I I think that would be interesting to to hear him because I know when he does a lot of interviews, um, you know, he's been on a, a few different podcasts. You mentioned he's been on the Jump. I think he's got great opinions on the game and actually just really does a great job breaking it down for a lot of people. So I I think he would actually really bode well in a in a broadcasting role if he does want to want to do that. Yeah, I mean, considering a lot of those guys who have personalities and who want to talk that were all a part of those championship Bulls teams. People just flock to, you know, hire them or flock to, you know, see what their opinions are. <laughs> um, uh, like, you know, Steve Kerr. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, Steve Kerr was, you know, hired and, and, you know, for these jobs and stuff like that is because of his connection to those championship Bulls teams. So mm-hmm. uh, if you were anywhere on those rosters, people want to hear from you. Well, you know, you can't be as a, uh as odd as Scotty Pippen is on the jump. So um, <laughs> he, he's got some, like, Pip's got some very, very bizarre opinions when he's on that show. But people love him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, and they change, you know, a little bit more often than I would like his opinions to change. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, hey, it's television, right? Who, who, who remembers that stuff? Yeah, just keep them entertained. That's all you got to do. I wanted to just wrap it up here with with BJ. You know, you mentioned the fact that he was very you know versatile and, and able to play next to to Michael and Scotty. I mean, you just look at at that three peat. That was a a unit that, if you think about, it, was really ahead of its time. The league was big man oriented. You had facilitating point guards. You know, in the early '90s, but that team was really a, a team that had strength on the wings and really just filled up with a lot of really good complementary pieces. They were able to play small, if need be, and really had a, an increased tempo. And I think BJ filled that role of, of being a guy that could spread the floor out if Michael or Scotty or whoever drove the lane needed to kick it out. He was always a reliable option. But I feel like that unit was, was ahead of its time. Yeah, um, the kind of the introduction... To, at least initially to a, uh, to small ball, uh, mm-hmm. if you really think about it, um, where or you know kind of like the modern age way of basketball, and I don't think they knew that they were doing it intentionally. But when you take a step back and like look at okay, Horace, he was only about what six eight six nine, mm-hmm. um, you know, playing your power four position wasn't real stocky. Uh, often got, I mean, if you want to get real i mean charles barkley ate his lunch um in that phoenix in that phoenix here so yeah, he uh, but he was but he was a good fit though and then it was kind of like whatever center kind of came around that sounds almost like uh the heatles where mm-hmm. they were just you know going through whatever center big man was out there and sometimes they even used chris bosh you know at the at the center mm-hmm. position uh, so you know the, the the small ball era has been you know, around the league for, for years. It's just, it didn't have a name and nobody really thought about it, but what the bulls were doing and how they were doing it with a non big man oriented team. And they were still winning. Uh, it was certainly not the norm of the time. So like we you know mentioned in, the, in this podcast earlier, finding pieces 
to fit around a guy with a high usage rate that wasn't a point guard and wasn't a big man, it should be calculated as like how how to build a, a modern NBA team because now you draft these stars who need high usage rates to get the most out of them. Uh, they can't go long without the ball. So it doesn't matter what position they play, small forward, power forward, whatever your best player is, point guard, it doesn't matter. Um, they need the ball and you need to build around that and find pieces around the best player on your team uh, to build around. And it's not just point guard or big man. And I, you know what? I, I like that you, you've said it a couple of times that, you know, you got to give the credit to, to Jerry Krause on that. He really did a great job complimenting two uh, Hall of Famers. If you look at it, just it's not even the, the first three-peat, the second three-peat as well. Just being able to find those complementary pieces and knowing what the strengths are on your team. You know, not trying to force a certain style. And I think it's a, a big credit to him. One thing that I wanted to just leave with, and I've, I've asked every guest that's come on to do this. Um, if you had to summarize BJ Armstrong's impact in one sentence, how would you summarize it? Ooh. Um, it's a good question. I ask hard hitting questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, summarize BJ's impact in one sentence. Um, I would say BJ was okay. Here's what I like most. Uh, and this is what I like most about every NBA player. If you have this quality, I will follow you to the ends of the world. <laughs> um, the understanding of your role. And knowing how to perform in that role. BJ was excellent at that. Uh, a guy understanding where his limitations are, what he good, what he's good at, what he's not good at. And I know this is longer than a sentence. I'm just kind of expounding. <laughs> um, You're using don't worry. It's just, there's a lot of, a lot of commas. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but guys that understand that and, and, and put winning above all, uh, I mean, BJ was a first round pick. He could have said, hey, I'm, I'm a first rounder. I got to you know, make my stake and make my claim in this league. I got to do what I got to do to be you know, a star or whatever. Uh, but he didn't do that. He played within the system, played within himself, didn't do too much um, and just kind of allowed Jordan and Scotty. And it, I mean, it's not like it was his choice, <laughs> um, but but to be a willing participant in in their growth as well as the team's growth is is very commendable uh for to me and guys that just say hey i'm here to help the team win this is what i do well and the coach understands that and the coach puts that player in the position to do what they do well and not do too much um it's just a a perfect fit. And when you, you notice that on an NBA court and you notice a lot when that's not happening, you notice when a coach isn't using a player properly or when a player is being used out of position or out of, out of role where he's playing above himself or not getting enough. Like we always know that, but when you see the perfect fit happening where the player understands his role, the coaches understand how to get the best out of that role uh, player um, it, 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 it re it's really magical, and we saw that with BJ and his contributions to those championship teams. Yeah, and I think I think that's well said. You could, you know, that was the one thing about him was that he played the role that he was supposed to play, and those are some of the the you know most reliable guys in the league and the guys that usually stay around for a long time. 
Um, so I want to end it on this, Tony. Um, you know, you actually have, are on this show for the third time. And you are part of the Rebuildable Three Timers Club. That's 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 ah. a real club, by the way. You've joined um, you've joined Big Dave Watson, um, okay. and C Red Fred as three time guests on the Rebuildable podcast. So congratulations, welcome oh, to Three Timers Club. Thank you, Pre- um, appreciate it. I'll be looking um, for a, something in the mail or something like that. Well, <laughs> yeah, no. So originally we had smoking jackets. We had. You know, we give out we give out trinkets and things like that. But I've had a scale back. I don't really have the budget anymore or ever. Um, <laughs> I get you. But one thing we do is we allow that that guest to pick a person to come on the podcast at some point. So, uh, Tony, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Who would you like to be on the Rebuildable podcast? And I will try to book them. Um, this could be a a bit. A short view, uh, because I see him and talk to him all the time. Uh, but Rob Schaefer is really good. Okay. Uh, and he's an excellent writer for NBC Sports Chicago, and I know that's more NBC people. Um, but I mean, we got a we got a strong group, and I, I'm telling you, with Jason Goff and Kendall and Will, uh, Layla, Casey, obviously. Uh, and Rob, I mean, and I'm just kind of like the wild card of uh, of the group over there, but. Uh, Rob, you know, Schaefer is, is an excellent writer. Um, his understanding of the game is, mm-hmm. you know, really, really, and he's a young dude. Um, I thought I was, you know, young in this game. He's really young in this game, but he knows so much and he, his writing is just great. So, uh, I, I think Rob Schaefer should be your next guest. He's a, he's a very good talker. I will do. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I just started following him like, like a week or two ago. So perfect timing, I guess I will. I will book Rob to be on the on the show, um, and I I just want to say Tony, you know the work that NBC Sports Chicago's done, and and the work you've been doing with the the podcasts uh, over there have been fantastic. So keep up the good work, and we'll definitely be looking forward to more of it. And you know, hey, thanks for making some good content during this time because it, it's probably a challenge to come up with some ideas, but some of the stuff you're putting out with with just some good stories and some just some stuff to keep everything off our mind it's it's a lot of help yeah man it's 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 a rough time for content with no sports going on but uh that doesn't mean we stop you know just because you know this unprecedented um coronavirus has kind of taken over uh globally um people still you know want to feel normal somewhat and um, in this unnormal time so uh, I'm appreciative of uh, my co-workers at NBC Sports Chicago, my bosses at NBC Sports Chicago that allows us to be, you know, as creative as we want and as creative as we can be uh, for, you know, you and every and everybody that uh, is paying attention to the Bulls and all of our sports teams locally. Um, so thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. All right, man. Well, we'll look forward to have you on maybe when we uh, when we get back to normal a little bit. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check out more episodes on Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Rebuildable.com.